Hey everybody, uh, welcome to another edition of uh, Tangentially Speaking. This one features the inimitable sex nerd Sandra. Uh, I've actually, I did this interview a while back and, and I kind of forgot it was in my, on my hard drive. I thought that I had already released it and then I... I heard her somewhere or someone sent me an email and so, oh, I think that's what it was. Someone tweeted that, Hey, you should have sex nerd sounder on your podcast. And I was like, yeah, I did. And then I looked at the, uh, the archives and saw that I had never released it. So, uh, my fuck up. Sorry about that. This, this episode has been lingering in there for a little while. Um, I listened to it, uh, just now and it's, uh, it's really good. It's, it's, there's a lot going on in this baby. Um, so I'm really happy I've got it to release today. It's Sunday night. I'll probably throw this up right away. Don't know when you'll be hearing it, but, uh, I am trying to release two a week at this point. And Thursday, it looks like, uh, Duncan Trussell, Joe Rogan, and I are going to do, uh, the third in our ongoing series, our rotating progressive dinner potluck kind of uh, podcast situation. And it's my turn. So, I'll release that one uh, as soon as possible, probably Friday or Saturday. Um, so stay tuned. There will be a, another good podcast coming up this week. This one with um, Sex Nerd Sonder, we talk about all sorts of stuff. I tell a story about when I was sort of hit by lightning. Uh, Sandra talks about uh, the many uses for sex lube beyond what you would imagine. Uh, we talk about female ejaculation, uh, whether romantic love is a human universal, and all sorts of other juicy, interesting things. I hope you'll agree. I'm not going to do any uh, sponsors this time. Let's just get into it. Hope you enjoy the conversation, and hope you're you're warm and happy wherever you are. So uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, oh, wait, before I say goodbye, let me just mention Frank Morse. Frank, thank you so much for your contribution. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, same thing with Steve Fisher. Got a, a contribution, a donation from Steve Fisher. Anybody who wants to send in a donation, you're most welcome to do so. And uh, I'm very happy to, to get some support. I've been thinking about maybe monetizing the podcast. Uh, people have all sorts of suggestions for how to do it, have a membership, you know, like 20 bucks a year and, you know, you, you get the bonus episodes and you get this and you get that. But uh, I, I'm resistant to the idea. I, I could definitely use the cash and I'm spending a lot more time on this than I had anticipated. But honestly, uh, I just feel so lucky that people give a shit and are listening and that it gives me uh, a reason for interesting people to to make time to talk with me that I kind of feel like asking for money on top of it all seems um, uh, like it's pushing my luck a little bit. But I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, at the moment, the, the audience is, is exploding. So I really uh, thank all of you who have told your friends about the podcast and 
are spreading the word because it sort of, you know, it, it went along for a while there, uh, sort of steady and, you know, growing slowly, you know, maybe a thousand more people per week, something like that. And then just in the last month or so, it's taken off. It's become an exponential kind of thing. Uh, at this point, it, we're getting about 200,000 downloads per month. So it's uh, it's expanded quite a bit. So I really appreciate that form of support as well. Just uh, talking to your friends, t- turning people onto the podcast. Um, the reviews on on iTunes are really kind. I appreciate all of them. Uh, you know, except for those of you who think I'm full of shit. Um, but even that, I guess, I appreciate you taking the time to tell me so. <laughs> That's very nice of you. Uh, but honestly, I'm I'm very, very thankful for all the support the podcast is getting. So uh, thank you to uh, Frank and Steve for your monetary support and to the rest of you for your spiritual support. Uh, one other email I wanted to mention, uh, Nathan. Nathan Hanks uh, is a writer. He uh, is just finishing his first book about uh, his 2009 hike of the Appalachian Trail. He was a drone pilot in Iraq, and uh, he hiked the trail with his his brother, and they're writing about it. And uh, I guess Nathan's writing about it. Anyway, he wanted to know uh, if I could talk in the uh, podcast intro about my research and writing process and all that kind of stuff. I wrote back to him and said that probably not because very few people would really be interested in that. If I'm wrong, if a lot of people are interested in that, let me know through Twitter, email, whatever, and uh, maybe I will talk about it at some point. Anyway, let's get into the podcast. It's it's a good one. Sex nerd Sandra's cool. She's smart. She's sexy. As you'll hear, she's uh, very tuned in to a lot of what's going on in the world. By the way, Tim, I just got back from a party where I met a guy who was uh, falsely accused of killing his mother and uh he spent 26 years in prison uh i think i'm gonna go back to his place and interview him tomorrow which will be quite interesting so look forward to uh that that'll be coming in the not too distant future all right thanks for listening ciao baby what's the big deal feel what you want to feel say what you want to say you're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Are you okay with this light? Yeah, sure. We're good. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Do I not talk for a while while you just? I'll make an intro. Welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking with Doctor Christopher Ryan. That's right. I'm a doctor. I'm not really a doctor, but you can still trust me. I'm a PhD doctor, not a medical doctor. I always feel like a fraud when people call me doctor. It's like you know what? If you get something stuck in your throat, don't come running to me. Right. You know, I can't help. Yeah, you know, your 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 arteries are exploding. I don't know what to do. Although one time I was on an airplane. And they called for a doctor. Oh, no. 
Yeah, and nobody answered. And then uh, the stewardesses were standing next to me in the aisle. I was mm-hmm. way back in the back. And they were saying, oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Nobody answered. Nobody, there are no doctors here. And I spontaneously I said to them, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I, I teach in a medical school. Is there uh-huh. something I can help with? And they, oh, my God, thank you. Come with us. Come with us. I didn't mention that what I taught in, me- in a medical school was English. <laughs> but I, like, I hang out with doctors a lot, you know. See, I think that's the role of people who, to just the general population, doctors that are not medical doctors, is just to make other people feel safe that they're amongst doctors. You can trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it turned out that what the guy was suffering, first of all, what happened was this guy was having an anxiety attack. Okay. And they had called down to, you know, ground control or something. And ground control said, take his, get his pulse rate and his blood pressure. And these stewardesses, this was a flight from Europe to LAX, didn't know how to take the dude's blood pressure or get his pulse rate. But they know? had the equipment, but they no had one the trained? Yeah, but I'm angry at it. this airline. I know. It was ridiculous. I think it was British Air. So I knew how to do that shit. I mean, I'd been a lifeguard, so I, I took the guy's thing. And it turned out, since it was an anxiety attack, I was the, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I was the perfect kind of fake yeah. doctor to deal with it. <laughs> Anywho, we're off on a tangent. I haven't even introduced my guest. My guest is Sex Nerd Sandra. Hello. Should we use your real name or just stick with Sex Nerd oh, Sandra? Oh, I'm Sandra Doherty. Okay. People know me as Sex Nerd Sandra because of my podcast and right. my education and whatnot. A wildly popular podcast in which you talk about everything from butt plugs to, to what's on the other end of the extreme from butt plugs. <laughs> Blowjobs. <laughs> okay. That's on the oral spectrum. I mean, we talk about uh, sexual shame. We talk about masculinity issues. Right. Uh, arousal, yeah. role play, how to make relationships relationships healthier uh and i am just curious about life and that channels very directly into my sexuality endeavors yeah so definitely yeah interesting we we just had dinner so things that we talked about at dinner we're going to pretend we haven't talked about before can you fake it i can fake it i yeah. can totally fake it i mean we talked you talked a lot i talked a lot you yeah because you eat slower i i'm a very slow methodical chewer listener yeah well that's good that's how maybe i'm gonna be a therapist at some point in the next couple of years are you gonna like eat during your sessions i feel like because then i can be a really good listener or just chew gum maybe or oh. tobacco but then you have to spit every once in a while. That's distracting. It's, it's not kosher. Yeah. <laughs> kosher. You know, you're not Jewish, are you? No. I no. mean, I have dated Jewish people. <laughs> oh, that's like me being a doctor. Yeah. Right. I've hung out with Jewish people. <laughs> I guess that makes me partly Jewish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Anyway, Sex Nerd Sandra, I was a guest on her podcast. We met at a bizarre uh, scene. Oh, you remember where we met? Dr. Susan Block's speakeasy. That's yeah. right. Yeah, a Saturday night in which we saw, while we're being interviewed about, I mean, I was talking about bonobos in prehistory, and as I'm talking, there's a guy swallowing swords while getting a blowjob. Yo, that was the culminating uh, climax to the show, actually. So to speak, yeah. Was, I'm going to do something crazy that's never been done in the world before. I'm going to swallow like Nine swords. They were, yeah. Multiple. So is a sword swallower a particularly demanding blowjob recipient? I mean, it's like, hey, if you can't take nine inches, baby, and I'm 
at, you know, nine inches, just to pick a number out of the air. <laughs> That's a, n- a really impressive. He, he did have a pretty massive schlong, though, as I, I don't, recall. I don't remember being impressed by it. Oh, no? Well, I'm not saying it was pretty, but it seemed pretty long. I It was a respectable penis size. Oh, okay. I don't remember it being Well, to an Irish guy, that looked really long. Oh. You know? I'm it's sure. like dog years. You know, you, you got to multiply everything by seven. It was... It was awkward because no one really wanted to suck his dick. Like everyone was kind of like every, Don't you a hate lot when of that happens? a lot of people there are game to have fun in a sexual way yeah. for for the goal of just having a good time on the show. Right. Uh, and, but it, you could tell that even the girl who was like, "All right," it was it was because he's like, "I gotta do this thing. I gotta right. get my dick sucked while swallowing, swallowing swords." swords. Uh, and I just felt kind of bad for everyone involved, yeah. <laughs> <But> including it, <laughs> us, having to watch it and then speak in, intelligently at the same time. But I was very glad to have you and Casilda there, your yeah. wife, because it, it was mostly everyone was involved in this interesting. Yeah, circle of people that all know each other, and I right, and there were like porn stars and penthouse pets, and and I don't know who else. Yeah, just it, different it people in the eclectic t- crowd. Yeah, sex industry folks and photographers yeah. and things. Yeah, and I was even though I'm called sex nerd Sandra, I'm not actively engaged in that crowd right. so i still was very giggly like yeah. crazy you're a little more crazy. nerd than sex yeah, tell me more publicly anyway mm-hmm. no i mean you've seen you're you're you have an educational intellectual take on a lot of things i definitely right. tend to intellectualize sexuality in a right. way that is palatable and um, easy to digest for people. And so I make it a safe place to right. be. Right. Sexuality is usually, if you talk about sex, you immediately are very uncomfortable or incredibly right. aroused. Right. And I'm able to talk about sex in a way where, I mean, I'm not overtly aroused or trying to be you know, shocking to people when I talk about sex, uh, which I guess could be also be boring. Bad news for tonight's host. <laughs> I'll lick my lips once in a while. How about that? Okay. Right. That, Who's uh, going to lick mine, though? That's the uh-huh. question. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Carrying on here. It, honestly, the, creating sexual energy in those ways with me is like probably the most awkward things you can do with me. I, I wish the audience could see your body language right now. My shoulders the, are like, the, up the, on my ears. Yeah. The yeah. sort of hold, hugging herself, stroking her upper mm-hmm. arms, comforting. My uh, co-host on my show is um, a comedian. And he has a lot of fun telling me, like, just uh, actively engaging in, uh, uh, quote unquote, uh, saying that he loves me and just sort of revealing to me on the show. Just every once in a while, he'd be like, and, and, and I love you, just by the way I do. And it's like, mm, stop it. Oh, really? It gets you? Yeah, it's a trigger. Yeah. I remember when you interviewed me, I said something that made you blush. And I, I thought that was interesting, that you blush pretty easily. Uh, I think all I said was that, you know, your listeners should know you were really sexy in person or something, something innocuous and innocent and obvious. I think it's um, the fact that a radio show, you can kind of look however you look and not where, you know. Well, I didn't tell him you had snot running out of your nose and (laughs) your eyes are all red. You were being very flattering. It's, um, it's, I definitely find it uncomfortable. I think I spend a lot of time just trying to, I like that people don't really look, know what I look like, Hmm. even though I'm not saying that I'm particularly attractive, but it's awkward. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, 
The thing is, the way people respond to attractiveness is mm-hmm. their problem. You know, it's not you. You shouldn't take that on. Mm-hmm. You know, come on. We're talking about adults here. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're running around seducing twelve-year-olds, mm-hmm. which, if you are, don't say anything about it on the air. I hold my tongue. <laughs> Can I call Who's you? Cri- Do I have to call you doctor on this show? <laughs> oh, that's hot, doctor. Doctor Who. Oh, <laughs> we're talking about Doctor How. Doctor What. Anyway, so okay, you're 29 years old. You you mentioned it currently, there, right? Mm-hmm. Currently, yeah, yes. that would be the the time frame we're looking mm-hmm. at. So you're you're a youngin. You're a you're a spring chicken. Uh yeah, I yeah. guess so. Um, but I do fall in, in, into the age category of people who are freaking out because they're almost 30. Right. And and I feel they're pleased. Right. Uh, but I, yeah. They're pleased. They're pleased for, like, for... For more youth. Like, no. It's, oh, for more youth. Yeah. Oh. God, at 29, people are feeling that? People are freaking Chill out. Chill out, people. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my friends totally having a hard time with it. I'm Letting go really, of their 20s. Yeah. I'm really excited about my 30s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. My My life story is sort of like... Everything's 10 years back because as I, as I was telling you at dinner, like in my early 20s, I sort of decided to take a decade mm-hmm. and just like stop thinking about careers or marriage or grad school or anything until I was 30. So I just said, okay, fuck it. My 20s, you mm-hmm. know, we're just going to remove that. So everything mm-hmm. I do for the rest of my life, I'll be 10 years behind everybody else, mm-hmm. right? Dying as well, I hope, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see. But, um, you know, if I were going to get married, if I were going to have kids, if I were going to go to grad school, all those things would happen 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, gave me that sense of extended youth that your friends are worried about. Because I mm-hmm. think it's not about age. It's about, you know, I remember, I, like, I'm 50, okay? Mm-hmm. I've got friends who are 30, mm-hmm. but they've got a job, a mortgage, two kids, and they feel old. And they look old. Mm-hmm. And they their lives are old, mm-hmm. you know? And when I'm hanging out with them, I feel like they're older than me. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in, in any sort of an insulting way. These are my friends, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like when we're talking, it's like I'm talking to someone who's older than me because mm-hmm. they have so many more responsibilities. And in some ways, the issues in their lives are so much more important and, well, not important, but but heavier, Mm-hmm. Than the issues in my life, you know. I think also philosophically, they're they've let go of finding lightness in their lives, and they've just sort of let the heaviness, they've let the responsibilities become who they are. Yeah, some of them, and some of them, you know, are trying not to probably, but you just, you know, another thing I think that determines our psychic psychological age is the age of our parents. And and the whether our parents are alive or not. My parents mm. are were really young when they had me. My the my mother's like 21 years older than me. My father's 22 years older than mm-hmm. me. So, and, and I was talking about my ex-girlfriend earlier. Uh, her father was quite old. Which ex-girlfriend? Oh, one of my ex-girlfriends, yeah. Um, but she was 11 years younger than me, but her father was old and mm-hmm. died when mm-hmm. we were going out. And 
the fact that she was in her 20s but dealing with a very aged parent and really confronting you know the mortality of her parents in some ways made her older than me because she was dealing with this thing that happens later in life you know what i'm saying so there are all these different ways of feeling age and and judging age and judging the passage of time i when i traveled a lot i used to think about how when your life is full of interesting changes and you're mm-hmm. meeting, you know, like I remember I was in Kashmir in northern India at a full moon. I was living on this houseboat on a lake in mm-hmm. Srinagar. And, and then the next full moon, I was at the Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, it's only been a month yeah. since I was way the fuck up in the Himalayas on that houseboat. And I've met so many people yeah. and been to so many places and seen so much stuff. That was only a month. And then I got back to New York and, you know, got an apartment and a job and a month would go by in an instant. Yeah. So it's How fill your life your with life? novelty. Yeah. And we were talking about traveling. If you travel, yeah. you stretch out time in a way that's, you know, time, who, who knows what it is anyhow. Yeah. So if you can stretch it out subjectively, I think you're really living longer. It's interesting that you you talk about that because uh, I just turned to my friend the other day and was like, "What are those trees called in Lord of the Rings? The Ints, Ints, and and because of these aged creatures that are like trees, like they're the caretakers of the forest, right. and they're just so old. And I've always had this sense of, you know, I've always thought about trees, like the redwoods right. in Northern California, and yeah. I mean they've seen centuries go by, yeah. and so a human life for them is just a, a silly instance in the passage yeah. of time. Yeah. And wars that they see, well, ah, that's another war. I mean, they've seen the peace and, and war and peace and war, and it's you have a certain patience about things, and you understand. Right. Then you get into geologic time, right, or, or evolutionary time. I mean, it's, it, investigating sex of dawn researching sex of dawn really like keyed me into the idea of hundreds of thousands Mm -hmm. of years certainly tens of thousands of years Mm -hmm. you know and when you get used to thinking in those terms a human life becomes so so different interesting thing i read recently Hmm. most mammals have the same number of more or less the same number of heartbeats in their lifetimes Really? Yeah. So like a rat or something that lives four years, its heart is beating so much faster than an elephant's. But at the end of their natural lifespans, they both have roughly the same number of heartbeats. So within human lives, I'm wondering now if the really stressed out people that die early have the same amount of heartbeats. Think about that. Well, that's why I don't go to the gym, right? You gotta you gotta stretch that shit out. <laughs> Spend as much time as possible in a hammock. That's my advice. <laughs> and I'm a doctor. You, you can ex- trust me. <laughs> they tell you to exercise regularly and get your heart beat up. Yeah. Within the rest of the time, it's so strong it beats slower. Yeah, that's true. Your There's base that. heart rate goes down. Right. So yeah, if you have really good cardio health, your base heart rate's very low. Sorry, You're I right. just brought in science when we were like just just being a hammock. Do it. No, no, I love science as was, long as it serves my purposes. I was just in Austin at this. My friend took me to this, the Salt Lick, which is this barbecue place. It's kind of out. And feel, you feel like you're on a plantation. It just feels really relaxed and great. Right. And we were walking around, just walking off the chicken. You know, just like whoa, walking just, off the chicken. That just, sounds like. <laughs> We just ate some stuff. Wow. <laughs> We're walking off the chicken. Okay. And the place had a hammock garden. 
There's all this entire enclosure oh. that was all trees, all nice. hammocks. It was the most wonderful thing I'd ever you found. You know, I'm a big hammock guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have had plenty of apartments where the only piece of furniture was a hammock. I've, I can tell you anything you want to know about hammocks. In fact, I think the hammock mm-hmm. was... Am I scaring you? I'm gesticulating. And, yeah, and she got scared. No, I, I'm, a, I'm a hand watcher. Oh. I'm like a T-Rex. I just watch movement. Yeah. So the minute hands start happening, I'm, mm. I hunt. You must love Italians. I do. Oh, boy. Uh, hammocks. I think the hammock is the first human invention before arrowheads, before stone cutting tools of any sort. It's the damn hammock. This, well, first there'd have to be fabric, or are we just really strong leaves? Oh, things, see, this is the thing. What is Bonobos the... and chimps weave hammocks in tree, living tree branches to oh, sleep in at night. They sleep up in the trees in these hammocks that they make. In fact, a primatologist recently, I read a report where she had gone up and spent the night in mm-hmm. some of these hammocks to mm-hmm. see what it's like, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so are, you know, apes that share a common ancestor with us are both doing this, uh, building these hammocks in the trees. And you think about it, our ancestors must have done the same things before they came down to the ground and well, all can that. can you give the humans the, okay, I mean, sort of like the stick going in the thing to get the ants and then, you know, oh, that's a tool. Right. That ape's using a tool. Look at that. Oh, ape. Yeah. yeah. And so if you're saying that, they're also building hammocks, and really you can't give humans credit for that. that for tool that use? Pre-human. No, no, no. We, we, oh, oh, well, the question is, like, if it's a human invention. No, it's a pre-human invention. So that's sticking the hole, getting the ant. That's like the hammock is really advanced. Sort of, yeah, yeah. It's a... Um, Pre-human. Did I just steal? Did I just say that you can't say that the humans that it's the first human invention now? I think you I did. Think I just yeah. ruined it. You ruined it. I'm I know. sorry. Yeah. I'm, I, I go was... for clarification above all things, and it's really you know. I was going to go on Nova and talk about that, and now I don't know what to talk about I'm... except walking off the chicken. I, I feel everything. Yes, <laughs> I think we got to walk off the chicken. Yeah, yeah. I I had a strange chicken experience once, but I, I guess I can't talk about that. That's not a radio story because it involves you, making chicken movements, so we can't do that. Oh, I was thinking it was something voodoo-related. I have a friend named Voodoo. It's one of my best friends. He was best man at our wedding, at which he forgot his ID, which was awkward. But, yeah. Anyway. Does that mean he had to be sober the whole time? Well, no, it was a civil wedding, like down at City Hall. And so we went into the room and he was like, okay, who are the, the, this is in Spain, who are the witnesses? So it was Voodoo and our lawyer. And Voodoo was like, oh, shit, I forgot my ID. Like, Voodoo, you're a fucking witness at a Ooh, wedding, dude. You got to bring it. So, yeah, Voodoo's another story. Anyway, let's talk about Sex Nerd Sandra. How the hell time. does someone become Sex Nerd Sandra? And tell us about you in high school. You mentioned your, you were the star at your 10th anniversary, your 10th, whatever oh, yeah. it's called. It was, uh, yeah, one of the, um, I recently had my 10-year anniversary, and I seem to be having a lot more, att- I got a lot of reunion. attention, yeah. Yeah. Anniversary, yes, of high school. Yeah. And yeah, it was just a very strange, there were lots of lawyers, lots of really great people. Everyone was very attractive. I mean, it's an LA crowd. Uh, everyone, you know, looked right. good, vivacious. Right. Um, but somehow there seemed to be also, I'm sure all the, I mean, when you, when everyone's 28, everyone's looking for, you know, everyone's, the mating call is, is very loud. Uh, the so, call of the wild. Um, being a, a sex pleasure and 
sexual right. awareness person. Right. You know. But no, it, it was um it was interesting. I, I was not a popular person in high school. No? I, I mean, it was like, what, 5,000 people? Because you were just like pure, pure nerd? Uh, I was not a nerd in the sense that I role-played or was in the chess club. I really liked chess, um, but I, I was kind of a loner, honestly. Hmm. I, I think the, um, the Christian kids adopted me for a little bit uh-huh. and we hung out they had foosball and they trips to mexico to hang out with kids there and build houses so were I you raised out. as a christian no uh catholic you... post-catholic in that uh-huh. they're just really nice people i've always right. been drawn to very nice earthy people who gesticulate a lot mm-hmm. i think you're gonna like marry some italian and or italians i'm not sure what's gonna i'm actually really with. insecure with my hand tracking habit as it people tend to call me out on it a lot really so, yeah so I'm like, oh, hand. Oh, stop looking at that. Oh, hands. Yeah, I noticed, More hand things. I noticed Don't you were looking at my hands. hands at dinner, but I thought you were just thinking, God, he has really attractive hands. You do have very nice hands. I was it's thinking that, too. Artistic hands, yeah. They but you nice do hands. it Now you tell me you do it with everyone. I, I feel diminished. Um, I've talked about this on my show. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I do personal disclosure constantly, but I have very puppy-like tendencies. So there's a lot of... So there's like, <laughs> I get excited and I like perk up like an animal. Really? Like a dog. Do you, yeah. do you pee if you're really excited? Oh, not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, someone asked me, you're the person to ask about this. T- huh. Today I was doing this, uh, recording a podcast with Duncan Trussell, the comedian. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, people are always asking me their sex questions. So what's the story with um, female ejaculation? He said, oh, it's pee, right? I said, no, it's not pee. It's definitely not pee. There have been all these chemical analyses. It's not pee. It's secretion of the cowper gland or something. Do you know about this? No, I... I need to set aside a good week just to dig, dig and dig through the actual research right. because uh, I was on a hike. I went to Hike the Geek, which is where a bunch of uh, geeky, smart C-types go hiking uh-huh. because, you know, it's like walking the dog. You got to hike the geek sometimes. Walk the chicken. I walk off up, the chicken. <laughs> I do <laughs> walk off the chicken. It was an intentional. So this was a sex hike? No, no, no. It was just smart people hiking. Oh. And uh, my friend Reichart, who I has some show on the Discovery Channel or something. He does something really important. Oh, Reichart. I don't know. Give it up for Reichart. He's, cool name, by the way. Yeah, he's very, he's ridiculously intelligent. I don't, oh, I should pay more attention to these things. I, I, now that I'm mentioning him, he, Google a Reichart and he's very attractive, smart person. Um, and he's giving me a hard time about female ejaculation. He's like, it does doesn't it's not it's pee and he's telling me that um no a lot of the tests on the ejaculate fluid are inconclusive and and i haven't looked at the research anytime recently and so i'm kind of like i don't know if there it's i feel like it is and he was saying that it is um to the small spurts are female ejaculate, but after a certain point when you have tons of tons of fluid, then you, where's the fluid coming from, but the bladder. And I understand that, but then you have Sherry Winston, who has been a midwife for 20 years and wrote Mm. the female anatomy and pleasure book. Are you familiar with her? No. Um, I've seen her talk a lot and she, and the American association of sex educators, counselors and therapists. I mean, her book won, I think the 2010 or 2011 award and she's very knowledgeable and wonderful and interesting. It's talking about how uh, the, all the fluid comes uh, from our blood directly and that uh, there are little tubules in like the uh, sorry I'm post dinner uh, yeah really lethargy that's what I was thinking yeah I'm like oh god I feel that so hard right now <laughs> um, but these tiny baby capillaries uh, and these 
tubules, somethings in the um, urethral sponge that surround the urethra connect basically our blood flow directly to our urethral sponge and uh, can spurt into our urethra and out our urethral opening. Uh-huh. And so it's uh, similar to uh, letting down milk. I mean, you're pulling right. from, you just need to be hydrated. Right. So you have her talking about that anatomy. Right. Um, which sounds pretty good to me. It sounds better than pee in the face, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. And unless you're into that sort of thing. Unless you're yeah. into that sort of thing and have great sheets or situation linens <laughs> so you can work that out. Waterproof blankets, that's all I'm saying, all guys. Right. So here's here's let's really get down to Sorry, this. Sorry, I just talked a lot about things. That was good. Yeah. That's that's what you're here for. Uh-huh. We're here to talk about things. That's what we do on tangentially speaking. Oh. That's why we call it tangentially speaking, by the way. There's no structure. This is my fantasy of like, you know, when they asked me to do the podcast, I was like, yeah, but it's got to be organic. It's got to be like, you know, whatever the hell we want to talk about. Yeah. Fuck structure. Fuck structure. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have me on. I like structure a lot. In fact, and you've got a fuck structure right over there in the corner of your room. Do I? I'm joking. I'm oh, joking. okay. I looked over like, are you just referring to my Ikea bag? The harness. Bag? The harness. Do I have an O? Oh. No. I'm like, did I leave that out? Oh, I put it away. I got all paranoid. Uh, I've got like sex toys in the drying rack. You know what there. I find really funny? I don't, uh, I don't know if this is too this much. What, what is this? I mean, I mean, I like Dr. To, Love Lube. Silicon I, lubricant right here on the table. It's very good for hair. Oh, it's good for Yeah, hair. this is a great thin lube that I actually now is my ha- hair. <laughs> Although hair, I should put some in my hair, hair right gel? now. Really? No, no, not as a gel, as a like um to uh dimethicone, which is in a lot of silicone lube, is is what they put in shampoo and in hair products to shine and smooth. So it's just pure shine stuff. So it's great for sex and it makes your hair silky smooth. Silky smooth, wonderful for yeah, wow. hand jobs. Uh, there's no taste, it's non-toxic, so you can use it during oral sex. You can use it as a massage oil. You Amazing. can um you can also lube up your trackpad on your laptop. Seriously? It, yeah, not like lube, lube it up. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it's easier. Um, it'll pick up your... I mean, people use it for all sorts of things. <laughs> I guess so, If you're working yeah. with clay or... Um, you're working... So you anything. wait, you lube up your trackpad? What, what I personally is, haven't, but I've had people tell me. You got too much friction on your trackpad or something? What's going well, on there? Mine is gross and dirty from all the... I just, all the lube. <laughs> I know, from just <laughs> being a weird MacBook user yeah. where I just eat a lot of cookies over my laptop. Oh, yeah, that happens. Yeah. I know. That. My life isn't fully glamorous and sexy all the it's time. It's not? Wow. Yeah. So, okay, let, let's get down to brass tacks here. Now, one thing I was thinking about, and, uh-huh. and maybe I'm revealing too much. We can have Dustin cut this out if I do. Dustin, uh, don't do it. Dudes, like a lot of guys have names for their dicks, uh-huh. you know, but I hear that some women have names for their dildos. Oh, you get, you're giving me a hard time now. Have you known anyone <laughs> who has name a name for her dildo? Is that a common thing among your, your female friends? And if so, what do they name them? Let me think about this for a second. And I've heard of guys calling their dick Junior, right? First uh, of all, my one of my very first boyfriends, I named his penis Gertrude. Gertrude. It just that, seemed that's like a Gertrude. <laughs> that's one of the guys who it ended up so in tears. It was, yeah. well, it was yeah. really tragic how it all went down, actually. Of course. Actually. You name his dick Gertrude? What the hell we are you doing to a guy? We were together for many years. It was Max, a very nice relationship. you know, Fabio, not Gertrude. <laughs> Fabio. I don't want any margarine peddler in Did my... I tell, I, I'm not sure if I've told my Fabio story on on a podcast. 
Wait, should I talk about dildos or do you want to talk about talk Fabio? About, talk about Fabio's dildo. Yeah. No, talk about dildos. Yeah. Then we'll I, talk about Fabio later. It's honestly in my dildo world because being a sex educator <laughs> i own a lot of dildos i get a lot of them uh, uh, they just know. send them to you in the mail yeah or i mean i, I just inherited one from a friend inherited. who it was uh, did because, she die no she's a oh. buyer for a sex toy store and uh-huh. had a sample and so I, and it's called the t-rex because it's a really big dildo with really small balls <laughs> it really made me laugh a lot. The T Rex. <laughs> yeah, I'm Tantus. It's a. It's a. Anyway, um, uh, so I generally will call my dildos what their factory name is because they have funny names like, uh, like Mike. Mike. That uh-huh. that's the name from or a factory. Buck. Buck. Oh, Buck Naked and yeah. the Bare Bottom Boys. Right. Great um, San Francisco band. I have one called the Mistress. A dildo called the mistress. Yeah, the mistress, actually, I hadn't, until I really thought about it, it's a slender and long dildo, and I realized it was designed for, because there's a, there's a whole, um, well, it's a really actually popular thing, actually, for men, especially, especially heterosexual men, um, who really like bending over and taking it anally from women, uh-huh. strap it on, called pegging, uh, pegging Dan Savage, Dan Savage. Yeah. uh, coined that term, um, so I realized the mistress is is for all the mistresses out there strapping it on to give oh, it to someone anally. I see an S and M, so it's wielded by a mistress. No, it's... not I mean, not necessarily in S and M, but yeah, sort of a right. more dominant female figure, right? In okay. the power dynamics that would possibly gotcha. come out there. I gotcha. Good times. So, <laughs> not that I would know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> not that you would know. Mm-hmm. So, are you into the S and M thing at all? Uh, I, w- I would say no to S&M. I would say yes to BDSM. Right. Um, I mean, a little spanking, a little hair pulling, a little nibble. I mean, you're already in the shallow end you're, of you're the BDSM the pool. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love being playful. Right. I love playfulness. Getting back to your puppy dog nature. Yeah. I just, I like keeping it light. Right. I think the serious face sort of, I love, I mean, arousal is a very interesting journey. Um, but yeah, BDSM, f- and the way I teach BDSM is, and people are terrified sometimes when they read Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, right. I'm sure you've heard of this book. I've heard of it. Yeah, I taught. This I was whole- bumped from ABC's 2020 because of that fucking book. That's really funny. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Oh, I'm they, sorry. Came, they came to my parents' house and full camera crew and spent the whole afternoon interviewing me. And then the week it was supposed to go on, Fifty Shades had just like hit. And, you know, this bitterness. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm bitter. I'm fucking bitter. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's all right. 2020 sort of sucks, actually. Oh. I, I hadn't seen the show since like 20 years ago. And Is it a CBS show? I think it's ABC, but it's real sensationalistic it and, oh. you know, it's not a particularly intelligent treatment of anything. Okay. At least I mean, that's all. I only saw the episode I was supposed to be on and wasn't. So I'm a biased observer, certainly. I haven't watched it in years. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm still lubing up my hair. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, I washed. Sex nerd Sanders lubing her hair. Okay, feel this lube. 
It's a slippery. It's it is slippery, as yeah. lube should be. Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't dry up and get sticky. So you get a cut from... Yeah, are we are we advertising Dr. Love here? No, no, we're Go not. Go to drlove.com. Speaking of which, oh, we're at halftime here. <gasps> let, me, let me do a commercial break. Ooh. Yeah, I'm still learning how to do this. So, okay, fans of the podcast, both of you, uh, <laughs> you can go to feralaudio.com, F-E-R-A-L audio.com, and there's the, uh, the uh, tangentially speaking page there. You can click on donate and send us all your spare change, uh, that money you were saving for retirement. You can just send that off to us to fund the podcast. Or failing that, you can click on the Amazon affiliate link and then bookmark it. And then when you buy things at Amazon, it won't cost you anything extra. But a little of that money goes to us to support the podcast. Isn't that cool? You're already better at um, funding your podcast than I am. Well, you've got a sponsor. We don't have a sponsor. It's I, true. Yeah. But yeah. all those little things are also, I'm, I'm still stuck in the, I just want to help people zone. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can get paid to help people. I mean, you can make a little money. I mean, if they're, you know, maybe there's like, no, you know, heirs to fortunes out there no, listening to this it's saying, truly I want to hear more talk if, about lube and hair products. If you're, I mean, I know you're listening. Well, it's weird to say if you're listening. Of course you're listening. <laughs> truly, um, especially in the podcast realm, it is so helpful and wonderful when people support a show and doing things like that. It really is meaningful. Yeah. And it's meaningful. And Dustin, my editor, who's like my version of the tech savvy at risk youth mm-hmm. you know dan savages tech people uh he says it's very important that people go to the itunes download site for tangentially speaking mm-hmm. and rate and comment mm-hmm. assuming you like the podcast if you don't like the podcast no need to do that uh because apparently like that's how the algorithm at itunes chooses who gets on the front page or whatever so that's another thing you can do um and Go to sexnerdsandra.com. Is that where they find it? Or they can just find it on iTunes Oh, it's on iTunes. Yeah. Yeah, you can uh, come over. My my shows are topic-focused. Each each show tends to be a topic. So so. they're not meandering and random and, you know, after drinks and dinner kind of podcasts like this one. You know, it's like a beautiful journey where you're, like, aiming for getting to New Delhi, but you can go all over the place. But Mm. eventually you'll get there. Like, we, Mm. we do cut into the meat of stuff, but we also have a lot of fun getting there. And so what's the last one you did? Uh, well, the one that we're releasing this week is on role play. And last year we did, I had the same guests on and we talked about role play, but we jumped straight into the deep hardcore end of role play, like, you know, murder play and rape fantasy play, which oh. is really, however, is very common for people to, um, to delve into that sort of giving yeah. up control. Well, I know rape fantasies are very popular, and I mm-hmm. hadn't really heard of murder play before. That kind of scares me. So what do you do? You kill someone and then fuck them? That's horrible. No, 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 the other way around. You or... kill them and get fucked by them? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I haven't listened to the podcast, that, <laughs> that episode in a while. But it was more like a, ah, it's just a complete power thing. Yeah. But the point is just having, give, so one person has full control and one person has no control. Right. But of course, within a consensual um, relationship, we're often the one who's giving up control is the one who's like, yeah, please take control from me. I just, let, let me just chill yeah, out for a little bit. Just let me relax. Yeah. Um, so we had them on again this week and uh, we talked about... Um, 
Like we played a really fun game, which is like, okay, I'm going to give you an object and you're going to think of a good role play because it's spontaneous role play. Uh-huh. So it was just like quarter, you know, and then it was like, oh, I need to take the bus or I'm, I'm busking for change and I need, you know, it just became like a fun improv game. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what about, okay. You said you were okay talking a little bit about <laughs> Sandra just bit the microphone, I think. Yeah, that's good. Uh, what's a, Do you freak out, dudes? Like when you, you meet a new guy and you're going out and, you know, you talk about what you do for a living. Does that scare them off, do you think? Do they get, is that when they start crying? No, 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 no. Um, the last couple years have been a little bit less, uh, less bloodbathy. In terms of my personal love life. Um, but no, I would say that mainly people are intrigued. People in general are intrigued. And right. usually people who are open-minded are excited to meet someone who's open-minded about sexuality. And I, I've made wonderful friends the last couple of years. Um, the more I've um, kind of identified myself as someone who's sex positive right. and just ha- um, happy to embrace the fact that people are sexual, the more these wonderful people have kind of come into my life. Right. So the people who are intimidated or scared of me have tend, tended to just sort of go away. Yeah. But often, I mean, I will go on dates or spend time with, with people who are romantically interested in me when really what they're more in need of is some kind of healing or closure or mm. some kind of um, insight into their own sexualities. Uh-huh. And so I, I will kind of find myself in a little bit more of a healer role right. than I necessarily intended to be, but it's okay. Um, but it's also, I mean, you can get kind of burnt out on being the sex sure. person. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Well, that's something else we were talking about earlier yeah. that for both of us, it, it, it gets to the point where you talk about these things so much that it, it sort of drains mm-hmm. the juice out of them in mm-hmm. a way, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And you get kind of tired of it. I, I was planning to write a follow up to sex at dawn mm-hmm. that was about sex. Mm-hmm. And luckily every agent and editor I talked to said, don't do it like short. No, no I thought that was the natural thing to do, you know? And, um, but they all said, look, if you write another book about sex, you're going to be the sex guy. That's forever. it. Forever. Forever. Yeah. And, but if you write a, a big idea book, mm-hmm. then you're the big idea man. Right. One of the big idea guys, you know, then you're, you know, whatever, Steven Pinker and, you know, Matt Ridley and those guys mm-hmm. who write lots of different, or Gladwell or someone who writes books about yeah. ideas, mm-hmm. but you never know what. Mm-hmm. It's more like the way they treat the idea that's interesting mm-hmm. rather than necessarily the idea itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really good advice also for my own sanity just mm-hmm. to like move on into into something else a little little different. Yeah, you bring up a lot of really um in my own trajectory of what's been going on is is uh I've spent a lot of time at like sex conferences right. and sort of and I'm kind of I've been secretly examining where I, I kind of want to go next in terms of education. And I mean, okay, I've got the sex thing down. Right. Like I get sexuality right. to a certain degree. Right. I can go deeper in certain ways. Like I can, I can go tantric, go Eastern and maybe get into that a little bit, but I'm thinking of going to more psychological uh, relation. I love relationships and mm. communication styles and going that way. So when you say that about what is your next book going to be? I think I, I'm not just a sexuality person, right. but I'm so strongly curious 
I mean, there are people who are just so just intellectually stimulated by these big human things. I mean, sexuality is huge. Right. But I'm also really interested in um, sort of life development and, and people's sort of life arcs. And and I don't, I'm just so interested in people in such a strong way. I don't yeah. want to just only talk to people about sex. Right. Even though I really appreciate having that ability. My big intellectual passion before I got into this was altered states of consciousness. Really? Right. And, you know, it. And it makes sense because it's it's another one of these things. I mean, I guess what I'm really interested in at base is trying to figure out what's human mm-hmm. versus what's cultural, mm-hmm. right? So the way to tease that stuff out is to look at things that are experienced universally among human beings and then try to see what are the commonalities and the differences. So something like sexuality, food, mm-hmm. altered states of consciousness, dream, sleeping, you know, those mm-hmm. are... What about sensory? Just like basic color. Yeah, sensor? yeah. I mean, that, I, I'm more. I guess I'm more interested in the sort of more complex, okay. you know, uh, perceptual stuff. Um, but like the commonalities among shamanism, you know, mm-hmm. if you're the, you know, the laps in northern Norway or Australian Aborigines or, you know, Amazon mm-hmm. in, in the upper Amazon, whatever, there are lots of commonalities in the way. Um, Altered states of consciousness are used for healing purposes and, you know, for uh, investigating the the psyche. So no matter uh, where the humans end up on Mars or beyond, wherever, uh, these cultural things will crop up, but not because, oh, they happen to be cultural, but because they come spring from something purely human. Right. So that you're trying to find the commonalities. Yeah. So I'm trying to find, like, get down to the rock, you know, and see what's... Interesting thing, talking about rock. I I mentioned I was working in Manhattan. I, I... I, we were talking at dinner about how I was going to go to Japan. That time that you hated everything. Uh, well, I didn't hate everything. I, I didn't really love the job. Did it was you a walk weird away job. At the end, yeah, yeah, I took off and went to Guatemala and got stung by a scorpion, and you know all this crazy shit happened. Yeah, but um, the job was a construction job in Hell's Kitchen, and I was the owner's representative on this apartment building, a 17, 18-story apartment building. So my job was just to hang out at this job site and try to make sure nobody stole things. You know, like if a truck full of windows showed up, like make sure nobody drove off with all the windows, you know. So I was like the guy the owner trusted to just hang out and watch what was going on. So I had a lot of power in a way, but also no power in mm-hmm. another way. It was a strange job. But anyway, one of the things I learned from one of the guys working on the job, I think he was a backhoe operator, was, you know, if you look at Manhattan from New Jersey, you see the skyline. It goes up in Midtown, Mm -hmm. like, you know, Radio City Music Hall and all that kind of stuff, really high buildings. Then it goes, dips down Mm -hmm. through the village and Chinatown and Chelsea and all that. And then the buildings go way up again at Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So you've got these two peaks of really high buildings in Manhattan and lower buildings in the rest of the island. He's explained to me that the reason for that, I thought it was just financial happenstance, right? Mm -hmm. But no, the reason for that is that the bedrock under the island comes up to the surface in Midtown, goes back down through the village and all that, and back up to the surface at Wall Street. And all those really tall buildings have to be drilled right into the bedrock in order to be that tall. You can't build that kind of... So you can't build on dirt, right? Of course. A, A building like that. So the skyline of Manhattan is like a an echo or a reflection What's of the, the geology under the island. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know why the hell I'm saying that, but it seemed related to something. It's you just a wonderful. Said. It's wonderful to find. Oh, the, the commonality and the, the way things spring up mm-hmm. from our, our roots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how you, how the things, the manifestations, the cultural manifestations are manifesting things that are very deep in the human psyche that mm-hmm. have some sort of evolutionary significance. I have noticed in recent years, I mean, as much as people will use, let's say, marijuana for you know, just a party drug, just to chill out or whatever, when I smoke weed, I often... Not that I do that, guys. <laughs> I mean, I... Don't try this at home. I... Often just, even though I'll be around people, I'll just want to be alone and at my laptop so I can just let out what's going on in my head because Mm. a lot of the stuff that's sort of under the surface that I'm not fully aware of, it comes up and I go, oh, I get it now. And like all the stuff that I get. Uh, And it's so these bigger ideas and connections come. And I mean, the next day when I'm not high and I look at this stuff, I go, oh yeah, that was a good idea. I mean, it's not like, oh, Mm. that was lame, but um there is a certain help to altered states of oh, yeah. consciousness to you know, getting a feel for something. That- yeah. And I mean, there's a great book called Black Elk Speaks. You ever Ooh, heard of that book? I feel like I owned that at some point. I never read it. It's a classic of American Indian literature. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I wrote a paper about it a long time ago. The, the idea is that, I mean, the idea of the paper was to look at Black Elk's story. Black Elk essentially was schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. He heard voices. He had all these delusions and crises, hallucinations and so on. But the way his people dealt with it was that he went to a shaman. He's 15 or something like that, Mm -hmm. which is when schizophrenia often hits boys, you know, Mm -hmm. late adolescent boys. Um, and he went to the shaman. He told the whole story about how he had these visions of four horsemen riding into the village from the four directions. And one of the horses was white and the other three were black. And, you know, he had this whole thing, very elaborate vision. And the shaman listened to all this, got the whole tribe together. And the entire tribe, everyone that this kid knew, hmm. acted out his vision. Okay. Right? The idea is that in shamanism, there's something called you're being called to shamanize. You're Mm -hmm. being chosen as Mm -hmm. a shaman. And people around the world recognize that this is a very difficult path and that it's both an honor and a curse for Mm -hmm. the person who's called to shamanize. And they... But they see great value in this because this is a person who can travel between worlds. This is a person who can go to the upper world and the lower world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you go to a shaman with a problem, the shaman himself, he's the one who takes the drugs or does the chanting or whatever to enter an altered state. He doesn't give you the drugs. Uh So he or she alters their own consciousness, goes to one of the other, the upper or the lower world. To ask the spirits, what's going on with this person? What's the problem? How, what should I do? And then they come back with this knowledge, and that's how they heal the sick person. Right? Okay. Isn't that interesting? And so what they call being called to shamanize, we call a schizophrenic break. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a psychic break, a breakdown. This is so they see it as an opportunity. So if they come around this person and protect and nurture this person and get them through the crisis, mm-hmm. then this person is going to be extremely valued to them, valuable mm-hmm. to this community for the rest of their lives. So it's a very different way of dealing. I'm sorry, I keep gesticulating. I'm distracting you. I'm, yeah, I'm. 
Did I, oh, and I totally just kept tracking your hands. You're tracking my yeah. hands, yeah. It's just uh, a thing. Oh, you're looking at my uh, I was lobster thinking maybe claw. I should wear an oven mitt or something to keep you focused. <laughs> oh, like that's going to help. Now I've got <laughs> waving a lobster claw at me. <laughs> but anyway, so it's a completely different way of dealing with this. You know, we send these people off. We either drug them or we send them off to a hospital somewhere to, in complete isolation. Mm-hmm. They're worthless to society. They're, com- you know, they're fucked up anomalies that we just put in right. a closet somewhere. Whereas in these societies, they're seen as a great gift. And you can choose to be a shaman, but you'll always be a lesser shaman. The great shamans are the ones who are chosen. They're the ones who have no choice. You're called to shamanize because you've got this ability slash curse of hearing voices and being in several worlds at once. See, I thought you were going to reference using marijuana as a way to as a journey to the other world so that you can shamanize but you but then we went in a totally different direction about schizophrenia is schizophrenia the only general sign that the person is being called to well what we would call schizophrenia Mm. uh, happens in about one percent of people worldwide Mm -hmm. it appears that it's not at all uh, mitigated by culture or environment at all. It seems to be like there's a sort of a constant baseline 1% more or less uh, around the world. And that, from a Western medical perspective, the the greater shamans who've been called to shamanize, we would call them schizophrenic. We would say they've had a schizophrenic break. They've. Had I didn't a, know that was a characteristic of shamans. Generally, of the of the, the you know the greater shamans, the lesser shamans who choose to be, hey, I want to be a shaman. You know, okay, fine, you can go and learn how to be a shaman. But the ones who are have the greatest healing potential right. are the ones who really had no choice. I was in Peru a year and a half or so ago and learned that the shamans, um, the ayahuasca peddling guys out there in the jungle, that I didn't get a chance to go hang out with. Um, you had to have been hit by lightning. Like you can't become one of those guys, really, unless lightning has struck you. I've been hit by lightning, sort of, of. Love. sort of. No, really. I, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> sort yeah. of like your arm. Uh, <laughs> like, what does that mean? Well, what happened was, I was like fifteen, maybe sixteen, seventeen, somewhere in there, um, and I was with my friend. We we're at my house. He lived a couple blocks away. This was in Fairfield, Connecticut. And it was raining like crazy. It was just one of those insane, like, thunderstorms that came out of nowhere. And there was a lightning strike and an immediate crash of thunder. And it sort of seemed like maybe it was his house, like it had hit his house or something. So we took off all our clothes and our and in our underwear we ran to his house through the rain. It was just an excuse to run through the rain, you know. So we ran through the rain, got to his house. His house was fine. There, there was no lightning strike at his house or anything. And we went in his garage and we pulled the garage door down so that we were looking out the windows, right? Mm-hmm. But that left the garage door like two or three feet up from the ground. So it wasn't completely closed, right? Mm-hmm. Then there was another huge strike of lightning. Bow! And we both fell to the floor. Oh. Our, like our legs stopped functioning. Huh. 
And we were just like there on the floor stunned for a few seconds or minutes. I don't remember. And then, we, you know, we sort of crawled a little bit and could <laughs> eventually get up. And we realized later that what had happened was the lightning had struck pretty close. So the air was electrified mm-hmm. and there was a draft coming in under mm-hmm. the garage door. So there was enough electricity in that air that it like made our legs stop working for a few minutes. Cool. So it's sort of an indirect lightning hit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would qualify me. It makes a good story. I have a question for yeah. you, actually, Mr. Story. I've done ayahuasca too by the way oh, yeah jealous. in brazil yeah. Yeah. but anyway what's your question um as someone who because we talked about this at dinner that i tend to not tell stories right. there's some there's some sort of odd lock and key i recently told a, a, a story a very embarrassing story at uh, body storytelling which is a um storytelling show of sexuality at mm. um, the catalyst com which is a, a sexuality conference and it was a huge step for me telling an, my own personal story. And so you seem to be quite a storyteller. And so how is it that you have these life experiences and you just naturally, just who you are, turn around and tell these stories in narrative form? Because you seem to have a really good sense of of experiences in your life that you you just have mapped it out mentally hmm. as if it is like a movie, but it's your life. Whereas me, yeah. it's just sort of chaos and yeah. crazy weird experiences that I haven't fully uh, picked apart. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about that. Um, because yeah, over the years, a lot of people have said, Holy shit, you, you have these crazy stories. You know, you have to write, even my editor at script at Simon and Schuster keeps telling me, you got to write your memoirs, man. Cause every time we get together, I end up telling him some story and he's mm-hmm. like, you got to write this shit. Um, the thing is, I, I read a quote recently, uh, it was something like good stories happen to people who are prepared to tell them something oh. like that. And I think, from my perspective, it's like, I mean, not that that lightning story is particularly interesting, but some of the, we like... brought life to it. Well, <laughs> but I mean... I mean, yeah, it I, was I, interesting, actually, but also you brought life to well, it. Well, there are like 15 or 20 stories from my traveling years and all mm-hmm. that, you know, that are... They're actually pretty good stories. They're they're mm-hmm. like I I was in prison in Alaska. I got bit by a scorpion while I was tripping on top of this temple in Guatemala. You know, I mean, crazy shit has happened in India and all. So there's, but but what's interesting is that when these things happened, I I it happened as a story. Mm-hmm. It's not like I changed things to make this fit better. Oh, I got to come up with a good ending or something. It's like it was given to me like a TV dinner. It's got you got your okay. vegetables, you got your meat, you got uh-huh. your mashed potatoes, you got your dessert. It's all there. You got your, you know, you got your 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 uh, drama. You've got your conflict. You've got your surprise ending. You've got you know interesting characters, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it happened. Okay, you know. So I think there's a there's an art in recognizing a story when you see it. You know when, but what I've learned over the years, hitchhiking, traveling, doing all this stuff, is that everybody has these amazing stories, but a lot of people don't see it as a story mm-hmm. they just see it as something that happened in their lives but if you come to it with a, a literary mm-hmm. sensitivity mm-hmm. you recognize like wow the story it's like what we were saying about um consciousness shamanism sexuality mm-hmm. there's um like a story 
is a very human thing. Maybe it's the first human invention before the hammock, right? Or after the hammock, but when we were humans, <laughs> like recognizing that there's something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I was hanging out with my cousin's kid the other day. He's like 18 months old and like he's telling stories, but they're not, you can't understand what the hell he's talking about, mm-hmm. you know, but he's like, he's got like cadence. Mm-hmm. He's got the facial expressions. He tells, he says something and starts laughing and everyone else laughs. And he knows like, that's the punchline. <laughs> so before there's any content at all, there's structure. I see. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's, it's a really funny thing to see happen. Okay. Yeah. You've got a good brain framework to catch Literature is my first love, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, I, I my BA is in literature. My father was a literature professor. My mm-hmm. mother taught English, you know. I'm like, grew up around books and stories. Mm-hmm. And also, I think there's an Irish thing. Irish people tend to like stories. And I'm shitty with jokes. I can't remember. <laughs> you know, it's and some people just have the memory for jokes. I remember. I think like I had. One of these memories where I would remember the first five jokes I ever heard. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I heard them all in like fourth grade. I got those. Yeah, yeah, I got those. So it's a waste of brain space. What did the zero say to the eight? I don't know. Nice belt. <laughs> wow. That's way back then. Okay. That's bad. All right. Well, I'm a lot older than you, but my one of my first jokes that I remember as being particularly clever was, how did Germany invade Poland? Easily. They marched in backwards and said they were leaving. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, that's, okay, that's fourth grade. So I was like, what? How old are you in fourth grade? Ten? Something like that? Nine. Nine. Okay. So I was born in 62. That's 70, 71. Something mm-hmm. like that, right? Poland, Germany, that's World War II. Mm-hmm. Where I grew up, you'd make jokes about Polacks, right? The, mm-hmm. They're so dumb, this and that, whatever. Only many, many years later did I realize that all that went back to World War II, that Germany invaded Poland. Poland still had their army on horseback. Mm-hmm. So Germany invaded Poland with tanks, and the Pol- Polish army ran out to meet them on horseback. And so American GIs who went to World War II would joke about how dumb the Poles were, right, mm-hmm. and how they were completely like un- unable to deal with modern warfare and all that. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing that in 1972 in Pennsylvania, probably because some guy's grandfather, who was a veteran, had told that joke at dinner, you know, mm-hmm. and that, so those, I mean, I had no idea what the context of those jokes were but those are the ones just stuck in my fucking brain not the good ones i heard so later racist that is a beautiful way to realize the history of something that you observed as a child yeah yeah why you were making fun of polish people because their army was wiped out by nazi tanks yeah Hilarious! Hilarious! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get back to your sex life. What's it like? Right. Always, I thought we were burnt out about sex. Fine, let's talk about my sex life. All right, we can talk about something else. It's, it's, I'm a completely uninteresting person. I grew up watching MASH, Alan Alda, you know, so the whole okay. sensitive man thing. And I was in college. I took women's studies classes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tried to be really sensitive and, and guilt-ridden about being a white man. Uh, and then, actually, my Puerto Rican girlfriend helped me through that. She was like, snap out of it, fucking loser. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, 
but uh, you know, okay. So so here's there's this cultural myth that like women like a sensitive man. They like a man who can show his emotions and all. But I may, call me old fashioned or whatever, or uptight or whatever I am. But I don't think women like it when men cry. I think women like a guy who doesn't cry. I mean, if your mother died or something, fine. But if you're fucking whining and crying about shit. I like what? that it started with a question to me <laughs> and then turned into so, you working out feelings about. I'm, I'm really, I'm seeing a pattern emerge know, here, which is I fine. Know. I'm really enjoying the conversation <laughs> uh, just for the record. No, um. I mean, come on, people, uh, people are interested in all sorts of things. Uh, I can only really speak in that sense about my own experience. And I've always been attracted to people who are very honest, uh, sweet, and I mean, not innocent, but, um, you know, just really what you see is what you get. Hmm. And so I've, and I've always tended to, to date really intelligent, nerdy types. And so, but I've always had a very strong passion for adventure and sort of, you know, figuring out things in life and going and and so the people who i tend to draw into relationships are also people who aren't necessarily and they're very stable type people and i'm more of like a uh you're the disruptor yeah i'm like live live the dream carpe diem friends what's over here i'm gonna go on this trip i mean i'm i'm sort of like I mean, your life is this. Your travel experiences are like maybe what my travel experiences are times you know twenty. You know, in terms of well, plus twenty years, we can. Well, a lot of it's just time, you know. Yeah, I mean, I haven't fully uh, examined. Like, I sort of just do what I do and not think about it. I just sort of right. just keep going. Right. I'm like, oh, that was interesting. What's next? Right. You know. Um, I mean, I don't know about how you've gone about things, but I've always tended to be a very um, healing, uh, safe place for friends. Uh-huh. And so I've always kind of been the cove to people. The cove. No, just the safe no, no harbor. No dolphins being killed in that cove. No, definitely yeah. not. No, no not that. Safe. I forgot about that reference. Yeah, Jeez, I can't movie. use that metaphor anymore. Know, it's scary. Uh, you saw the movie? No, I've heard things. Oh, I forgot. Oh, it's a terrifying movie okay it's a different yeah. ruin ruin the word cove forever <laughs> yeah for it's me. a safe place yeah we're talking about this if you haven't seen it there's a documentary called the cove that's about this cove in japan where these evil japanese fishermen herd dolphins in and just slaughter them ruthlessly it's a terrible thing that's not okay yeah and that's not the cove that i harbor <laughs> no that's not in, the safe cove. in my soul yeah uh so anyway i i don't really feel like this is particularly interesting um, making people cry no um it's but i'll just... tell you there is some value in it though not in making people cry but there's value in what we're talking about <laughs> Because I often get asked by people, I mean, you probably get more emails than I do asking for advice, but I get occasional emails from people. Oh, man, that's all I get. Really? That's all I get. Yeah, I know. I sent you an email and I always get the the automatic bounce back, you know, thank you for emailing me. That's my guilt response. It's like, (laughs) look, everybody, I don't know how this happened, but you're going to, I get a lot of emails and... Um, it might be a while. (laughs) Well, the one piece of advice I feel comfortable giving people is to filter out incompatible people as soon as possible Mm -hmm. and don't feel guilty about it because otherwise you and they waste a lot of time developing a relationship that isn't going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And when you're young, 
it feels like, oh, no, let's explore, let's find out. Da, da, da. But then after a while, you sort of realize, like, you know what? I knew immediately mm-hmm. that that was never going to go anywhere. And yet I've just wasted five months of my life on this. You do tend to know immediately, like, oh, yeah, that's going to be a thing. But in the long run, it's like, oh, but there's all this good stuff. Let's explore this good but stuff. But that's the thing. There's good stuff with other people. And that's the problem. That's the folly of youth, thinking that you find good stuff. Oh, she's hot. Yeah, fine, she's hot. There are a lot of hot women out okay, there. Okay, but I've, like, I mean... <laughs> There's love. I mean, there's different kinds of love. There's different uh, excited feelings. Right? Right. There's different. There's all those different levels of romantic love and attachment right. and things. Right. And then once in a while, you fall so crazy in love with someone. Just yeah. so wow, crazy in love. Hmm. Uh, and I have had that experience of someone imprinting on me really strongly in that hmm. way. And there's a lot of that's that that is difficult to be sometimes on that end of something. But having had the folly of youth and fallen crazy in love with uh, at least two and a half people, I would say, in that two way. Two and a half people. I want to hear about the half person you <laughs> fell in love with. Oh, it was messy. It was, was it just... the top half, bottom, left, right? <laughs> How did that work out? Uh, the personality <laughs> and the, I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. It's more of a strange bunny hop through time of a strange friendship. That it was a lot of love. It was a, a bunny hop through time. You've got a talent with these expressions. Oh, thank you. Walking off the chicken, <laughs> bunny hopping through time. Uh, yeah. So you two and a half. Flattering. So you've been wildly in love two and a half times. Yes. You know, here's, it, it, here's what I was saying is you you can say all, my point was you can say all you want about come on guys rule out the compatibilities but when that feeling hits nothing no amount of logic is worth more. No dig- there's nothing worth more than that wonderful really? feeling. Like that feeling is worth That's so, so much. That's so self-indulgent. That's like people who say, "Oh, I want to have a baby for the experience." You know, fuck that. I, People have babies for the experience. What about the fucking baby? You know? I mean, the baby's life. Okay. So, I, I mean, I'm not talking about you. You Give me a hard time, doctor. But what I mean is like, okay, I don't think, here's a sad, sad but true declaration. I don't think I could ever feel that, okay. what you're talking about. All right. Um, I don't, I think I felt it once mm-hmm. and it was a disaster. Okay. It was the woman I mentioned at dinner who dumped me when she went off to college and I, hate I was that doing woman. yeah and and it turns out she was completely we were completely incompatible anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean I was 16, what did I know? But the it's like to me it's like uh that like complete abandon and this like surrendering oneself to the delusion which is that kind of head over heels in love. That's not the kind of love I'm talking about. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about the delusional kind. I'm talking about the kind where no matter how much you want to just not be there, you can't not be absolutely completely delighted by this person. And no one else in the world can even come close. And you think that's not delusional? No, it's, it's... It's a purely like they are administering a drug to me and their presence and their behavior and their affection are creating this strong chemical response in me. And I am so sick with that uh, sensation and that feeling that and it's like it's so stupid. I hate this feeling, but it's so good and you're giving it to me and I can't. Oh, this is so dumb. You know, like you can just fight it all you want, but it's still there and you're like, fuck. I mean, you can't, I mean, it's just, that just happens to be, and I can, can be completely aware of that sensation and still be like, ah, Jesus. Hmm. And it's still going to 
I mean, you're still like tapping your, you know, inner elbow being like more. Okay. No more. No, no. I'm smarter than this. Oh, but I want more. And so you can be fully aware that, oh, this is dumb and still be in love. No. Yeah. See, I don't think I can. I think if it's dumb, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not very sexy. Well, it has nothing to do with sex, though. No, 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 that, I know. That's the thing. I mean, I think people fall in love, what you're calling that, that sensation you're describing. I think they, you know, like you say, it's so dumb or whatever. People find that experience with someone with whom they're completely incompatible to mm-hmm. build any sort of a long-term relationship, with whom they really don't have a lot of mutual respect or shared interest or, you know, sense of humor compatibility mm-hmm. or any of the things that are essential components of a long-term relationship, friendship or otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I recognize that feeling you're describing, but I, to me that's more like infatuation, Mm-hmm. You know, I see it as delusional and, mm-hmm. and kind of silly in some mm-hmm. ways, you know, and for me, it's very it would be very, very self-indulgent and I would feel I would feel ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, um, but maybe that's an age thing, too, mm-hmm. you know, and I remember reading a, a book a long time ago written by a Zen Buddhist Choigyum Trungpa, I think it was. Was the guy's name? Oh, you really busted that out confidently. I like yeah, that. like I, I speak Tibetan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I have, the Tibetans listening in were very impressed by my <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, my pal Chugyum said, um, I remember he was he was writing about like how people think. Uh, you know, a state of enlightenment or or a Buddhist, you know, what you're studying and trying to to attain is this place of constant bliss and, and, you know, just constant happiness and so on. And he said, no, it's not. It's, it's beyond happiness and sadness because what it is, is the perfect balance of the two. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is you don't, you're not living your life constantly happy. What you're doing is your, your perspective is constantly balanced. So when you're really happy, you're not forgetting about the sorrows of the world. Mm-hmm. You're not forgetting about the suffering, innocent people and the, you know, people who are getting screwed for no reason. Right. And yet when you're really sad because something terrible has happened to you or someone close to you, you're not forgetting the beauty of the world. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't surrender to either of the extremes. So your, your consciousness isn't like flying back and forth between these, sensations your consciousness is balanced in the center the whole time always aware of the two extremes and that allows you to have more more uh, stability and and mm-hmm. you know control over your the own. middle path yeah yeah essentially yeah i think for me that that's been an interesting component of experience and getting older and all that is that it's almost like taking antidepressants or something you know Mm -hmm. people take uh you know serotonin inhibitors you know they don't just lose the bad feeling they also lose the really good feelings Mm -hmm. they lose the highs and the lows Mm -hmm. you know and uh, I, i wonder if um yeah that in some in some ways my experience of getting older is kind of like that Hmm. it cuts out balancing uh, yeah yeah it's kind of like sound waves when they get too hot, and then yeah, the electronics exactly. Cut off the top you just yeah, the waves. yeah. I'm sure there's some technical word for that. But. I mean, I think age. Interestingly, for for what's happened with me 
in terms of, I mean, because I've started, like, I've really lived my first decade, over a decade of just pure adulthood. Yeah. And so that was a really interesting marker for me when I could really measure my adult brain thought yeah. experiences within thing. a decade. Yeah. Um, and for me, I've become more and more of myself, which is, of course, it's its own theme that people talk about when as you age. But my love experiences... Um, have evolved a lot too and i am a lot more aware and in control of sort of my romantic encounters and my feelings around there um but i very much value the human experience of just falling in stupid love with someone and it's interesting for you to call it delusional or that if it feels, I mean, I say stupid is kind of like, oh, this is so dumb. Like, stop it. But really it's wonderful and powerful. Hmm. Uh, and you can chemically analyze it all you want, but it's still a very important part of being human. And I'm sure, okay, in 20 years, I may not have the as much ability to release those sorts of amazing feelings into my bloodstream. Hmm. However, brain, you know, synapses, whatever, all that stuff. Uh, you can talk about that stuff. Um, but for you who wants to get at the universal experiences of humanness and get to the rock right. of something, right. interesting that you would reject an incredibly human experience. Well, but that kind of love that you're describing is not necessarily a human universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, I remember reading uh, an anthropologist talking about the tribe she was with in the Amazon and the people uh, spoke a little Portuguese and she'd brought in a radio and they were listening to the, Portu- the Brazilian radio. And they were like, what, what is all this love, 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 love? What? It's, it's ridiculous. This is children's stuff. You know, they had a very sort of like, what are they talking about? You know, and, and also there are lots of cultures like that where Mm -hmm. that sort of romantic love that we celebrate as Mm -hmm. the pinnacle of human experience is either unknown or seen as, um, kind of a, an absurd thing that children, you know, puppy love kind of thing. Being a, a strong observer of feelings and people and things a lot. I've done a lot of work in myself to separate just different feelings. And so I'd almost say that the feeling that I'm describing is not necessarily what I would call love even, right. but more a strong delight right. when someone is so delightful. Right. I mean, and so it may not come across as romantic love, but that like right. um, joyful delight that someone can give you yeah. is really wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm meeting someone new who's great is a, one of life's best things mm-hmm. for sure. So, yeah, I don't know. We, we can get really <laughs> deep. I mean, you're, you're a hard, I, mean, I can. You're just so like no to the love. I'm like, yeah. No, I mean, you know, in, in Sex of Dawn, we talk about that a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, when a man loves a woman, he'll sleep out in the rain and all this stuff. I mean, I blah, think blah, our blah. culture has a very sort oh, of yeah. inf- infantile sense of what love is. Yes, and so I, you know. I, I, in these sorts of conversations, I'm very much focused on like, wait a minute, people do not make any sort of, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, I love that house. Let's buy it. You know, wait mm-hmm. a minute, wait a minute, check the plumbing, look at mm-hmm. the roof, you know, mm-hmm. do your budget, you right. know, talk to the bank. You know, you, there's a lot of stuff to do before you go into a relationship. And I think that so many people, because our culture is oriented this way, so many people think that relationships are about that sensation you're describing. But that sensation is temporary in the best of conditions. That's a temporary thing. And the problem is. 
if you've got a good partnership, if you've got a really solid relationship, and you think that that feeling is what it's about, then when that feeling wears off, you start thinking your relationship is a failure. Mm -hmm. And then you get that feeling with someone new. Mm Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, that's the one I love. Mm -hmm. And so you leave your wife or husband and kids and, you know, whatever you've built together in search of this thing that is constantly out of reach. It's it's very problematic. Um, And I've thought, I mean, I feel really part of it is that people don't have any, haven't been trained at all in terms of skills or frameworks around stuff. Yeah. My oven's making me. Oh, I'm I'm banging into it. Stop banging. Sorry. Banging your oven. Yeah, be good to my kitchen appliances. Jeez. Um, that, it's like someone like me who's kind of a natural sort of educator, like disseminator of, like I think in Malcolm Gladwell's turning point, I'd be um, a maven, I think. The, the people who just like want to just share really important information. I'm just like, right. guys, this is meh. Right. Uh, That's and, why they send you the dildos, by the way. Yeah, this is very interesting. This I want this T-Rex dildo. Hmm. Can you tell everyone about your dildo? Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, it's okay. Uh, you're a maven. Um, but it's really, I think that's part of the reason why I'm thinking about the, the therapy track is because understanding relationships and there are a lot of really poor skill sets with people. Yeah. And just very, it just, I mean, elementary level. I mean, all you get are the romantic comedies. Right. I mean, I grew up with right, the... and they never tell you what happens later. It's all, all no. they, they, you know, they're they've got the attraction. Have you ever read the Erotic Mind by? Oh, Warren? I want to. Oh, I want it's to. It's really great. I mean, one of the things that's that's that I remember about it is there's this very simple formula: mm-hmm. attraction plus an obstacle equals passion, mm-hmm. right? And that's it. It's so simple. Romeo and Juliet. You know, whatever romantic comedy, mm-hmm. whatever you know, great story. It's always they're attracted. There's an obstacle. Their mm-hmm. parents won't let them. They, one's rich, one's poor. You mm-hmm. know, one's Asian, one's white. Whatever it is that's stopping them from getting together, then they finally somehow get together. Mm-hmm. End of story. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end of the story. Then you got to hang out. That's for the a beginning while. of the story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that often is a sad story because they don't. They don't realize that once you take away that obstacle, you know, you've, you've got a relationship, you know, a long-distance relationship, but you're so passionate you can't wait to live in the same yeah. city. Well, guess what? Guess guys? what? Yeah. No, there's the um, obstacle removed, uh, joining first kiss, yay, music, end. And then there's the, oh, tired married couple who yeah. has no passion anymore yeah. and the constant jokes about the sexless marriage. Right. And those are the two paradigms of relationships and i mean the idea of getting married and going through that situation of sexless passionless sort of dried up companionate yeah roommatehood yeah yeah, uh, that just seems like the worst thing well i don't know is it worse than living alone i mean if if you love the other person i mean how many for me yes how many (laughs) how many 70 year old couples who've been together for 30, 40 years are having sex anyway. You know, sex isn't really a big part of most 70-year-olds' lives, I would say. Not all. I mean, but also we haven't been, a lot of people just are not um, taught to deal with the changes that their bodies have, so they just sort of turn off the sexual. Yeah, but also, I mean, when you're you're way out of any sort of reproductive age, the Mm -hmm. body does, you know, sort of become more interested in other things i think mm-hmm. there's a natural shifting of you know the mm-hmm. where the energy goes mm-hmm. i mean i've met a lot of sexually active you know, senior citizens yeah 
Yeah, one of my best friends just turned 80 last week, yeah. and he's got more lovers than you and me put together, probably. <laughs> it's a pretty amazing, Very cool. <laughs> strange thing, but good for him. Yeah, yeah. And his lovers are young, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got these lovers in their 20s and 30s, and it blows good my mind. Good for him. Yeah. Great. I mean, he's a super interesting guy, mm-hmm. and, you know, so there's a lot of, a lot of that, but... Yeah, yeah, it it is. You're right, though. The the options on the table are pretty sad. So the work you're doing is good. Sexnerdsandra.com, right? Yes. Yeah. And you can just Google it uh, at Sexnerdsandra on Twitter. And check out the podcast if you feel like listening to more stuff in your ears. Definitely. And more focused than than our meandering conversation here. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Well, I got to ask you my storytelling question, which which was really fun. Uh, I mean, I'm just sort of startled to be on this uh, tangent celebrating uh, story time show, <laughs> uh, and I'm honored to be on. I, I, don't know, thinking, I, yeah. I couldn't decide what to call it for a long time. I was thinking Chris's American Life, you know, but mm-hmm. I thought I'd get in trouble with mm, probably. PBS. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Chris is. The doctor. The doctor is in, yeah, yeah. So tangentially speaking, and this is certainly, you can see my interview style is all about going off on tangents, mm-hmm. whatever comes up. So It was a good conversation. Yeah. yeah. I've enjoyed Thank myself. Thank you for doing it. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Anything else we should doctor. plug? T-Rex, anything else? Oh, plugging. Oh, my goodness. I don't even, that sounds, I mean, I'm. you know, I... I do coaching sessions, and if you're in the L.A. area or want to fly me somewhere, I also do workshops, and they're, uh, they're a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, well, you mentioned something earlier. You do... What were you doing? A BDSM workshop. You did a BDSM workshop. Oh, that one was a Fifty Shades of Grey. That was a lot of fun. Uh Oh, gosh. I teach on, I mean, yeah, lightweight BDSM, uh, oral sex, uh, spicing up relationships, anal play, um, just female orgasm stuff, G-spotting. Just a lot of the the pleasures ones that people really are interested in. I, you know, I... I love talking about that stuff in workshops and Great. and with a big comedy element and just really put everyone at ease. Right. I have a ton. Of, I have a ton of fun in my workshops. I'm teaching okay. a blowjob class tomorrow. I'm gonna, they're always so much fun. You're teaching a blowjob class tomorrow. Yeah. That's all right. Let's end on that. <laughs> Stop well, it. I, I can't Don't imagine like what that. a blowjob Stop class it. is like, but yeah, hilarious, yeah, hilarious. Yeah, There's so much comedy goes down in a blowjob class. I was class. talking to someone recently, a woman. Mm-hmm. Who told me that she was giving a blowjob uh-huh. and somehow the guy's dick got under her tongue oh. and like hemorrhage and she was bleeding and she had to be rushed to the hospital oh, no. with a terrible tongue injury? Oh, I'm sorry, lady. Have you ever heard of something like that? I, no, I mean, I mean we, there's a lot of blood flow to the head, so I can imagine oh, a small tear. It it's terribly painful, but I mean, I, I just. I mean, choking, I can imagine, but like tongue trauma that it's pretty tender on there. I can, I I mean, I haven't specifically heard that. I mean, usually, I I mean, I hear about back of the throat and throat, throaty things. Right. I'm just imagining the guy had a really like sharp dick. I have a feeling also a lot of injuries that happen. I, I often, I think. It seems alcohol or drugs uh, are involved. So people are a little bit sloppier little, with their behaviors. And a little, yeah, overly enthusiastic, perhaps. Yeah. Right. You just tend to miss some more. <laughs> <laughs> 
people. All right. So anyway, if you want to learn how to give a blowjob properly, you should fly Sex Nerd Sandra to your local Elks Club and, and <laughs> set it up there. Couples love talking to me. They is so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. All right. Said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I can kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation. Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.